Joe from Little Women, Alfred from The Handmaid's Tale, Jane from Jane Eyre, Celie from The Color Purple. These are just a few of many literary heroines from throughout history. Today, I would like to propose an addition to that list. Pippi from, you guessed it, Pippi Longstocking, which was written by Astrid Lindgren and published in 1945. To know Pippi is to love her. She is strong enough to lift a horse, generous enough to share her chest of gold coins, independent enough to live on her own, brave enough to perform in the circus without any preparation, and self-aware enough to admit when she doesn't know how to behave during a fancy tea party at Tommy and Annika's house. I know I could take a page or two out of Pippi's literal book, and we discuss that quite a bit over the next hour. We go on and on about our favorite aspects of Pippi, talk about the significance of neighbors in a story about children, and discuss the mixed feedback Astrid Lindgren's work has received over the years. Episode 209 covers so much ground and leaves plenty of room for fun. In other words, it's fitting for our leading lady. Today's guest was such a delight, especially for a discussion about this particular book. She'll tell you more about this shortly, but rereading Pippi Longstocking really helped her connect with her kid and adult selves. It's Clarabelle Ortega. This New York Times best-selling and award-winning author is a former reporter who writes middle grade and young adult fantasy inspired by her Dominican heritage. When she's not busy turning her obsessions with 80s pop culture, magic, and video games into books, she's co-hosting her podcast, Bad Author Book Club. Clarabelle is a Marvel contributor and has been featured on BuzzFeed, Bustle, Good Morning America, and Deadline. Her latest book, Witchlings, was an instant New York Times and number one indie bestseller. Her graphic novel, Frizzy, is out in October of 2022. You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Clarabelle underscore Ortega and on her website at www.clarabelleortega.com. Did you know that there's lots to explore on the SSR website too? I reference the show notes all the time on the podcast, and you should totally check them out if you haven't already. Go to www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen for more content about each and every episode, including this one. There's also plenty of SSR content on social media, at SSRpod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Your engagement with SSR doesn't have to stop there. Please share your thoughts about the show with me via an Instagram story or with a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also become a podcast patron at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. As a Patreon member, you'll gain access to amazing exclusive rewards, not to mention a truly incredible community of readers all while supporting this independent pod. This week, we kick off the September SWR, that's Shit We Read, book club in Patreon, a month-long conversation about Portrait of a Thief by Grace D. Lee. I hope to see you there. Episode 209 is brought to you by The Unmatchmakers, which is now available as an ebook and audiobook through Kobo and across Kobo's global storefronts. Written by Jackie Lau, The Unmatchmakers is perfect for fans of The Bride Test by Helen Huang and The Donut Trap by Julie Tu. 
It's a forced proximity, friends to lovers, romantic comedy that explores finding the balance of meeting expectations and being true to yourself, and how even the best of intentions can sometimes backfire. Check it out on Kobo or at the link in the show notes for this episode at www.ssrpodcast.com slash listen slash episode 209. Ready to treat yourself to some cute bookish swag for the fall? I'm partnering up with Inkwell Threads to bring you 20% off. My personal Inkwell wishlist is long, and you can join me in shopping the whole collection at www.inkwellthreads.com ssrpod. Be sure to use code SSRPOD at checkout to cash in on that 20% off offer. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Clarabelle. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's Pippi Day. So like, I hope you're <laughs> feeling kind of silly, kind of whimsical, maybe kind of like the strongest girl in the world, because Pippi Longstocking is all of those things. Yeah, uh, she totally is. And I don't think I realized how much of my personality as a child came from this book until I reread it. It was a journey. <laughs> it is a journey. Okay, so we know that you feel like your personality was largely informed by Pippi. Tell me your other memories of Pippi. Were you into the book? Did you watch the adaptations? Why did you want to reread this one for today's episode? Yeah, both. I I, I was a big fan of the new adventures of Pippi Longstocking. I really loved it. I routinely the theme song will come back to like my brain every once in a while it's like very very catchy I also did read the books and I was just really enchanted by the idea of this kid living on her own it really just sort of like spoke to me as a kid who was already had like their own sort of rebellious streak and sort of like I don't know if I want to sort of live my life the way everybody else does I feel a little different from the people around me so Pippi was really sort of like my first introduction to that in a book that made me feel like oh okay (laughs) yeah I'm not alone I can be weird (laughs) yeah for sure do you remember how old you were when you were first introduced to her I'm thinking I was probably like around eight or nine. Okay. I think that was about the time that I got into it. And I mean, I've been a big big reader my whole life, but that was like around the time that I just became sort of like voracious and like was reading everything. And like this was part of that like era for me. Okay. I love that. So my Pippi Longstocking origin story is that I actually was adaptation first. I don't know which adaptation, but... I've talked about this on the podcast before when my dad and my stepmom got married when I was about five years old and I went to visit my stepmom's mother so my new like grandmother for the first time I discovered that she had this like treasure trove of old VHS tapes obviously 
And it was all things that I had never heard of, like outside of my normal Disney familiarity. Like it was a lot of older movies, a lot of things that were like kind of funky and weird and probably culty, but it was like this really fun adventure to go and see what she had. Mm. And my stepmom is one of seven children. And so there are a lot of cousins. And on this visit, I met all of my new cousins and it was really fun and exciting. And of course, we ventured into my grandmother's movie collection I didn't know really like what any of these movies were and somebody grabbed Pippi Longstocking and I was like haha like funny name for a movie like this sounds great (laughs) and I remember watching it and being like wow like this is so like offbeat like nobody else has ever seen this movie I have discovered Pippi Longstocking because I'd never heard of her before and visually it was so different than so many of the other things that I was watching at the time so I was like wow like this must be unheard of like I have discovered something new obviously that's not true but it made me feel very special because it was something that like I shared with my cousins at this unique moment in my life and it wasn't something that any of my friends had ever talked to me about so then I of course find out that it's a book and kid bookworm that I was I had to find the book I probably read it when I was like seven or eight and I like hadn't really thought about it much since then until I don't know if you're a Gilmore Girls watcher at all but there is a moment in Gilmore Girls where Lorelai and Rory make one of their boyfriends watch an episode of Pippi with them and they're like singing the theme song and it's hilarious. I've never watched Gilmore Girls like on aside from like the first one or two episodes I was like I don't think this is for me. Yeah Um, (laughs) but yeah I think that's like a really good age to like dive into it. I think that's like the target audience where you're like still willing to believe a lot of the things that happen and sort of like want to believe a lot of the things that that Pippi is like capable of and it's like ew adults <laughs> in a lot of yeah. moments which is always really fun I I had such a good time reading the book I don't remember if I watched the adaptation first or read the book first I can't remember which came first for me but I know I was just like all in once I got a taste of it yeah I'm sure we'll talk about this more but I think that Pippi is just like such this manifestation of childhood in its purest, most unadulterated form. Sort of like Peter Pan, but less creepy. Like, I don't know if you've read the original Peter Pan. I assume you might have. have. It's Mm -hmm. super creepy. We did an episode about it on the podcast a long time ago. Not something that I need to revisit. So I feel like Pippi shares a lot of those characteristics with Peter in terms of like, being this kid that never wants to grow up and like not being comfortable in the adult world, but removing some of those like weird implications and racism and so many other problems with Peter Pan. Not that Pippi is a perfect book, but I think that that Pippi like isolates so many of the like magical experiences of childhood and she's doing it all on her own, which is a fantasy for so many kids. Huge, huge sort of like tickle to my brain when I thought about living on my own and being able to like make my own food and like have a pet monkey and a horse and like all of these things it was just like oh my gosh like I wish I could do that I wish I could sort of live life on my own terms and I felt almost like protected by her because she's so strong also and I love that aspect of it right because like if you're living alone as a kid it can be scary except it's not scary for Pippi because she can just like kick ass (laughs) yeah the author was so smart in the way she put this character together because yes it is like fundamentally unsafe for a nine-year-old child to be living alone 
But Astrid Lindgren, the author, was like, oh, I'm just going to throw in the fact that she's like the smartest and the strongest person in the world. And so like we don't have to worry about her physical safety because no matter who shows up, she can deal with it. I don't need to worry about her ability to fulfill her basic needs because she has this chest of gold coins that she can use to buy whatever she wants. And yeah, like that's kind of, that covers the basics and she's going to be able to figure everything else out. Yeah, it's, I think it's really sort of like the ultimate like kid, like dream fantasy. Like I have unlimited money. Like I can, I don't have rules. I can wake up when I want. I don't have to go to school if I don't want to. I can just do anything that my heart desires and nobody can take advantage of me. And it's just so great. And like people will respect me whether they like it or not. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so true. Like, you can't disrespect Pippi. You can try, but it's not going to work. It's not, because she's either not going to understand what you're trying to do to her, and she's just going to, like, make you love her, or she's going to just, like, throw you out a window. Like, those are your options. Yeah, she's the perfect combination of, like, zero social cues and superhuman strength and together those things just make her bulletproof to everything yeah yeah she's great so we have talked many times on the podcast about the orphan trope and why we grow up reading so many different orphan stories and what the appeal is there for kids this is in some ways an orphan story because we find out that Pippi Longstocking's mother died shortly after Pippi was born and her father while still alive is very much not around because he's off being a cannibal king so we think Mm. so Pippi kind of presents as an orphan in the fact that she is totally independent but there's something different about her story as compared to other orphan stories that we've read on the podcast and that I remember reading when I was growing up and I can't quite put my finger on it like it feels like it subverts that in some way Is that something that you were thinking about at all while you were reading? Yeah, it is interesting how the book, it manages to do that. And I think part of it is like, it's not really sad, right? Like, it's almost like she's happy to be living on her own and doing things on her own terms. And she is very self-sufficient. So it's not like the trope of like, oh, she's living in an orphanage or I wish somebody would love me or, you know, all I want is like a mother or like a dad. Pippi's very much content telling her stories and sort of living each day as it comes. And like sort of her character feels like she's happy just doing that. And the times that she does bring her parents up, it's very much like with adults calling her on be like, well, I don't know what you expect from me. My mom's dead. My dad's a pirate. Like... She's like, I don't know. She she knows when to like employ her sort of victim story and when to just be like, I'm fine. I'm not a victim. But I think because she's so nonchalant about it, it just like gives the reader permission to also be nonchalant about it and not be sad. And and it's almost like if Pippi had the choice, it would be like, no, I, I kind of choose to live this way. I, I really like it and it works for me. So, so yeah, it, it was really well done and it avoided like that sadness. And I think it's just because she is so sort of happy and confident and sort of like unaware of the fact that she's supposed to be sad. Right? <laughs> she also has a lot of agency, which just occurs to me now because there are other orphan stories. And of course, I'm forgetting all of them as we're having this conversation. But there are other orphan stories where I feel like the main kid character doesn't necessarily like present as a victim because they're happy and they've like found their way in life. And often it's because some other caregiver adult has taken them under their wing and looked out for them and made sure that they have a beautiful life. 
But ultimately, even if that character isn't a victim in the way so many other orphans in literature have been over the years, they are still reliant on this other adult. And often the plot of a great book turns on that caregiver potentially like making decisions that are not actually in the best interest of the protagonist. And so Pippi has this kind of perfect combination of like, she's not a victim, which we love, but also she has a lot of agency because she is not bound to any caregiver. And of course that has its drawbacks because again, she is forced to be fiercely independent, which can be challenging. But the fact that she is so in control of her own choices and of her own circumstances, I think reinforces this idea that she's so not a victim and maybe that's why it feels so subversive. Right, and and that's really interesting too, right? Because a lot of times the reason why authors like kill the parents off is to give the kids that freedom. So if you're giving them the freedom and then you're also not giving them the agency, it's sort of like you have like a floundering character. And sometimes the storyline is such that they find that agency as they go on throughout the story. But for Pippi, she's she's got it from the beginning. Like she knows what she wants. Like she knows who she is and she knows she's not perfect. And I think that also makes her really great. Like she's willing to admit when she messes up and she's like, oh, I didn't know I was misbehaving, <laughs> which is just so funny and reads like really authentically as well I think that's one of the things that really struck me as I was reading this and I think one of the reasons why I identified with it so much as a kid is because it felt real it felt like actual interactions that I would have with like this friend if if she so happened to appear in my life and I don't know I just really really love how it translates childhood to a page and play and pretend and make believe because a lot of times yeah it just it does manifest as lying <laughs> right um i can 150 percent identify with that part of pippi because like i've always been a storyteller and the first way that that manifested was me making things up right and i didn't realize that that was like lying when i was little at some point i did but at first it was just me i was just telling a story and i think that's very much what pippi's deal is too yeah, I, I love what you said about Pippi feeling so authentic to you because Pippi's circumstances are so out of our kind of like comfort zone and they, they don't feel grounded. But Pippi as a character still somehow manages to be extremely grounded. And that's a hard thing to pull off. Yeah, for sure. And I think because she's flawed, because she's imperfect and because she's just giving in to like what a kid would give into like on their own with like not any real need of anything which is like playing right like Pippi just wants to play all day long and I just felt that at like in my heart like as a kid that it just felt like yeah that's what I would do too that's what I want to do all day I don't want to go to school I want to play you know I want to play pretend I want to make pancakes I want to just do all the things that I love doing and just like express myself and explore and have adventures and it just felt like so much fun and it I think that she does really still even reading it now as an adult feel like a real kid character despite her superhuman strength yeah and she feels timeless in a way like so many of the the characters that I've come back to on the podcast who I love and resonated with me so much when I was a kid I'm like this kid is not timeless like I can't imagine how a kid in 2020 2021 2022 could read this character and feel like they saw themselves in that character and I I think that Pippi might buck that trend like Pippi might be the one who manages to be timeless 
of all of the characters I've read so far for the podcast. And I know that's a big statement, listeners, but I'm going to stand by it. <laughs> I, I, I think that it makes sense, though, because she's really her own person. That's what her character's meant to be, but that's what she also really is. Like, the author did an amazing job of making that translate, because you can have intentions for a character, right? You can tell the reader that a character is a certain way, but Pippi really, like, she walks the walk. Like, there is nobody like her, and um, she's really unpredictable. And I think that because she's so unique and so herself, I think that's part of what makes her character sort of, like, stand the test of time. She's just a good character. Yeah, and her principles as a kid are really still the principles of what I think kids anytime are sort of holding in their heart which is just like fun and like play and friends and imagination and those things don't go away no matter what avenue they take and like I think that a kid today reading Pippi might think she's weird but like when wouldn't they think she's weird <laughs> like you would always think that I thought Pippi was weird too but I think that they would also like her I think they'd also like her and they'd want to be her friend because she would make life exciting and who doesn't want that? <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want a neighbor to totally turn their life upside down and just like make everything more fun and magical? Right. And I think that the whole neighbor thing also, I think that's really important because like I was talking about this, I don't remember when, but like how, oh, I was at the Bronx Book Festival and I was talking about how moving mm. in middle school is like a tragic thing. Yeah, I, <laughs> I did it remember. and it was like the worst thing that had ever happened to me. I just remember so much kids media like, focusing on moving or like a new person moving in and it's like a big upheaval right like we as an adult it's like a big upheaval but as a child it's like it's so monumental it's so huge and so I think part of the appeal of Pippi is like having someone new come into your world mm. and like and that new next door neighbor right that could bring like a- endless possibilities and sometimes it could be like a creep or sometimes it could be like a bully but like no Pippi is just like this enigma this like mystery of a person who like immediately accepts you as a friend and immediately likes you as a person and there's no sort of like conflict there um the only conflict is like in her sort of like social behavior and like how she doesn't understand paying for the circus (laughs) (laughs) and things like that but even in those moments like it's so funny that you can't help but just sort of be charmed by her at every turn but the the new neighbor the moving trope i think is part of what made it such a like perfect kid story too Yeah, it sort of flips what we're used to, which is the story told from the perspective of the kid that's moving. And instead, while Pippi is, of course, the main character in this story and like all stories and her own life, naturally, we really see this scenario and all of Pippi's antics through the eyes of Tommy and Annika, who are Pippi's neighbors. And they're like, of course, like more typical children. They have very traditional parents. Their mom, who we do get a chance to meet in this book, is conservative I would say she is stuffy Mm -hmm. like she expects her children to comply with certain conventional behaviors and norms and so I I agree with you like I think so much of the media that I was exposed to when I was a kid is about moving and like the tragic side of it and yes I can confirm that it is kind of tragic when you're in it but like I wonder if there are more stories 
like this one where we get the flipped perspective, maybe moving wouldn't seem quite so scary. Right, because then you can see it as something exciting and like a possibility rather than loss. And yeah, I I just really loved that aspect of it. Just like wake up one morning and there's this like horse girl next door. (laughs) It's just like great. (laughs) A horse girl and a monkey girl. And and a monkey girl. The strongest girl in the world. I also think that there's like something aspirational and more accessible about the setup with Pippi being Tommy and Annika's neighbor because like let's be real none of us can be Pippi as much as we want to be Pippi right but I can see how young readers would read this book and think like oh I could be a Tommy or I could be an Annika and somebody magical like not quite as magical as Pippi but still pretty cool could move in next door and shake up my life because what we see with Tommy and Annika is like the classic boredom of being a kid like they go to school every day every day is sort of the same they have to do a lot of things that they don't want to do because the adults around them make them and then you have somebody like Pippi show up and so I love that the author used these characters as like the proxy for readers because A, it gives you an easier way in because of course we're seeing like Pippi's antics and like wackiness through their eyes. But also it gives readers like somebody to hold on to and like an accessibility or an aspirational quality to what's going on on the page. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that was, it was like sort of like a perfect positioning of those characters to give kids that sort of self-insert and that relatability. But yeah, I, 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 I think it was just great and perfect. And I had so much fun reading it. Like I just really did feel like a kid, like it transported me and I didn't realize it was going to be that intense. I love to hear that. That's what I'm going for. (laughs) So like all fabulous women, girls, really like all fabulous characters in history. Uh, Pippi is a bit polarizing. Not sure if you're aware of the polarization of our girl Pippi, Clarabelle, but there's a lot out there about her, as you might imagine. And listeners, I will, as always, link to everything that I found about Pippi and her origin story in the show notes for this episode. But while Pippi was generally very well received, It was published in 1945 for context in Sweden, and then it was published uh, in American English in 1950. Generally, it was beloved, but of course, there were people that were not too fond of Pippi and her unpredictability. And I think that's worth talking about because there are a lot of interesting reviews out there, including reviews from bloggers, particularly mommy bloggers, who have reread the book more recently. And while a lot of them enjoy Pippi and sort of like get what the author was going for with this character, a lot of them are sort of like shaking their head and like, like, I don't understand the appeal. And I think it's worth like a little bit of historical context because again, Astrid Lindgren wrote this in 1944 after coming up with the Pippi character in 1941 while her daughter Karen was ill. She told stories of Pippi to Karen and Pippi kind of became this like staple in their household. But thinking about what was happening in the early to mid 40s, there was a huge upheaval in the way people were thinking about childhood. And there's a lot out there about this. I think that there was this sense that like childhood was becoming a little bit less of a highly pressurized situation and kids were being given more room to play. After World War II, like it was a completely different world for so many people. And especially in Europe where Astrid Lindgren is from, like. I can't even imagine the sort of like collective shifts that she was experiencing both as a writer and as a parent like 
figuring out how to orient herself as a writer for children. Like, how do we tell stories differently for kids after all of this has happened and as we are changing the way that we want to talk to young people? And so, yeah, this book was probably extremely subversive at the time because the author wasn't trying to moralize to anybody. Like, she just wanted to entertain her readers, make them laugh, show them a character who was completely different than any character they'd seen before. And that is naturally going to set you up for some strong opinions in all kinds of directions. Yeah, I mean, you know, children's books can be very polarizing still are, you know, uh, lots of children's books are getting banned to this day because of various reasons. I think it's ridiculous to sort of be upset about Pippi being like a free-spirited kid. I think that parents that don't understand the appeal are probably so far removed from their own childhood that they are sort of looking at everything through an adult lens. And I think that that's like a big problem when it comes to like reviewing children's literature. Like it's not for you. It's not for an adult. It's for a child. I can't tell you how many times I've had reviews like these characters are immature. They are 12. (laughs) What do you expect? I think that like a lot of times people look back on their own childhood and they are applying their like adult lens to it and like well I didn't do that or like sort of like rewriting history right but like if we could really look at the way that we were as children we were probably all a mess at one point or another and it's just really important for us to remember when kids are reading books that a you don't have to give your book to a child like like you can as a parent decide this is not for my kid and that's okay um and I think that there is this big shift to like these books shouldn't be allowed and it's like that's fine for you in your house you don't get to make that decision for other people right but in terms of like a character like Pippi I think it's sort of like a failing of uh, a parent teaching their child what a book is Uh, supposed to be and what imagination is supposed to be and just because something happens in a book doesn't necessarily mean that you can do it in real life right but it's okay to like sort of to experience those things and to laugh at those things and to have fun with those things in the context of reading and just like having a good time with it and I think it's unfortunate that people are sort of like so stuffy about things just like Pippi would just demolish you in real life if she met you right you're like exactly like the kind of character that she'd make a fool out of in the book right and I think that's funny and it's actually sort of reinforces how timeless the book really is because if there's still people who don't get it then it's doing its job as a book it's doing its job yeah, I mean, Pippi, maybe that's what they're responding to, is that they know that Pippi would demolish them. And so even as adults, they're like, hmm, maybe she's awakening some old insecurities of theirs. Right, like, what do they think is going to happen? Their kid is going to, like, move into a house and, like, get a horse and a monkey? Like, get real. Like, it, you're fine, you know? Like, all your kid's going to do is laugh and maybe, like, learn something about themselves. Like, maybe they do want a little bit more freedom and like that's okay you know they're allowed to have feelings (laughs) that you don't necessarily instill in them (laughs) they're humans (laughs) yeah I mean I'm not a parent and I'm sure not trying to be a mom shamer but if your nine-year-old decides to like move out of the house get their own home somehow and bring a horse and a monkey indoors (laughs) That seems like something that you need to manage on your own more so than like blame (laughs) an author from almost 100 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a very specific problem to that person. Yes. Well, I am, of course, Team Pippi, Team Let Pippi Live, Team Pippi is Fantastic. I will say that I found that there were a few, like, Pippi moments that were removed from the original manuscript. Oh. So... Pippi was rejected from the first publisher that the author sent her to. And this was after Astrid Lindgren already had a couple of books out there. But Pippi was not was not originally accepted. And then the author took it to her publisher who recommended that she submit it to a contest that another house was having. But before she submitted it, the editor helped her cut out about a third of it and make some changes. They made Pippi, quote, a little bit more tender and melancholy, which is interesting, but they also removed a scene in which Pippi uses a full chamber pot as a fire extinguisher. So, like, that I get maybe, like, too far. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, the book is quite short, and I think it reads sort of, like, little vignettes more so than, like, a book with, like, a fully realized plot. But I understand you know, it was a long time ago and like it's already pushing boundaries. So I'm sure that the, the publisher was like extra cautious about <laughs> what they wanted to have in there, I guess. But I say bring back the deleted scenes. I want to read them. <laughs> we want the director's cut. Where do we get yeah. that? <laughs> so as you mentioned, this book really is told as a stories of the vignettes and each chapter is a different story about something that Pippi does or tries or gets into and they're just like a lot a lot of little adventures so I'd love to know which one was your favorite and if there's a particular bit of Pippi mischief that you would like to dig into a little bit deeper today oh I loved the scene where she goes to the coffee party I think that that one stayed with me for a very long time not just in the book but the but the in the tv show as well I think there was a line about like eating with your eyes and not with your stomach or something like that and like that always like stuck to me because she was just like eating everything and like when she keeps talking about her maid that like broke china on purpose and like she just like wouldn't stop going back like every time the women were talking about their their help right and like how horrible they were and like so when pippi's talking about her, her grandmother's maid malin and she's like oh if you think your maid is terrible, I'm going to tell you about Malin, who every Wednesday broke the china on purpose. <laughs> and the ladies, like, get fed up with her. But, like, Pippi, like, keeps bringing up other things that Malin did. And eventually Malin goes off on her own. And her grandmother has to break the china herself that day because Malin's not there. And, like, I love the scene because, like, the women leave. And, like, Pippi, like, it's, like, yards away from them and she's still yelling about Malin and she's like and another thing about (laughs) while I'm thinking about it (laughs) and it's just so funny because she is like undeterred like she's already been told like hey you're not behaving so you can't come back here and she's like oh I didn't know that alright see ya and then just continues to do the thing that was like annoying the adults and it's just so funny and it without her realizing it she's making them look so ridiculous for complaining about the people who are you know helping them run their households right like it just makes the adults look so 
terrible and so silly and you end up like loving this like fake character Malin that like Pippi most certainly invented um, to like be part of the conversation (laughs) yeah she's just trying to be cool I loved that scene too and I loved the setup for it which is that like Tommy and Annika are all excited to invite Pippi over because at this point Pippi has invited them to do all kinds of other things And, of course, like, her world is completely different from what they're used to. And they have enjoyed most of those moments with her. And I love the idea that they're like, okay, now Pippi's going to come to our house. And it's going to be so fun. And, like, we, of course, as readers, especially adult readers, we're like, okay, this is not going to be anything like the stuff that you do with Pippi. Like, turn around. Turn around the other way. This is not going to go well. And I love that Pippi, like, has the self-awareness to say to them, like, I don't know how to behave. And, like, I'm kind of nervous. Like, I am shocked in general by Pippi's self-awareness in this book because I think that a lack of self-awareness is something that many adults in 2022 certainly suffer Mm -hmm. from. And I love that she's like, hey, like, heads up, uh, I might really embarrass you. So, like, as long as we're clear that it's good, like, you're not going to be mad. And Tommy and Annika are like, oh, it's not going to be that bad. Like, we'll figure it out. And, of course, it's way worse than anything they could have imagined. But I love the setup. And then... I just love that Pippi doesn't care. Like, she just doesn't give a fuck. She has no filter. There's even a moment where, like, like Pippi plops right down in the circle with, like, the ladies. And I think Tommy and Annika's mom tries to be subtle. And she's like, oh, like, I was thinking you could have your party in, like, the other room. And Pippi's like, okay. Like, I'm, but I'm already sitting here, so let's just sit. And I think that was the scene where I experienced the most like secondhand embarrassment cringe because I feel like I didn't experience that in in most of the rest of the book but maybe it's because as an adult I'm a little bit more in touch with those kinds of like social expectations and so Mm -hmm. I really felt for Pippi and I just didn't want anybody to say anything mean about her like I could just picture these ladies right quite frankly talking shit about her after she leaves And so I I was a little bit squirmy when she was just, like, not paying any attention to the subtle cues that the adults were trying to give her about how to behave. But she tells this whole story. And then I think Pippi does have this way of responding to her mistakes that's really interesting. It happens here. It happens when she goes to school a little bit earlier on where, if I'm not mistaken, she, like, kind of apologizes. She's like, I don't know any better. She kind of, like, plays the the orphan card a little bit, where she's like, how would you expect, like, a motherless child whose father is, like, a (laughs) cannibal king to know how to behave among adults? (laughs) So she does that, and she then apologizes, and then she just moves on, which is something that I struggle with. Like, it amazes me the, the number of lessons that I have learned from the books that I've covered on the podcast that I need to figure out how to apply in my own adult life. Because if I do something wrong or I, or I offend someone or I like miss a social cue, I will torture myself about it for hours, if not days. And I love that Pippi has this ability to like recognize when she's messed up. Sometimes she's a little dramatic about it. She apologizes in a really straightforward way. She might mess up a little bit more because she's like, great, I apologize. So like I'm covered. And then she just moves on. Yeah, I completely agree with you as somebody who has uh, anxiety and depression. Apologizing and moving on is not something that is easy for me. I will dwell on something, even if I didn't actually do something wrong. I will dwell on like my behavior and how I interacted with people and how people might be perceiving me. 
I would not survive a day in Pippi's shoes because what gives her the ability to live the way that she does is like that ability to like move on from things to just sort of like take them as they come and then okay I'm on to the next thing I'm just living my life you know like I can't expect me to be perfect and I'm like but I expect myself to be perfect how dare I have I have the gall to like do something even a little bit wrong moving on is just like not in my personal dictionary yeah I think Pippi has a lot of compassion for herself and um I think it's really healthy compassion and she's just sort of like you know this is I'm I'm just a kid my mom's an angel (laughs) this is what she keeps saying which is so funny my mom's an angel and there's nothing I can do I didn't know and I'm sorry and she then makes her decisions based on that and she's like you know school's not for me I don't think that it's worth it to just want a Christmas vacation to go to school. I'm going to go ahead and just stay home with my horse and my monkey. And I don't know. I just think it's so great. And I, I think that we could all learn so much about sort of giving ourselves grace from Pippi and like not letting the mistakes that we do make take joy away from our lives. And it's just like, wow, what the heck I needed this book right now actually because I could stand to be a little less hard on myself yeah I totally agree and I appreciate you sharing that so we know Pippi goes to school it feels like some tongue-in-cheek criticism of like the standard education system I don't know exactly what schooling looked like in Sweden in the 1940s but if it looked anything like traditional schooling here in America like I definitely see how the author might have been like poking fun at sort of the conventions and the strict nature of a kid being expected to sit in school for X number of hours a day and like learn in a very narrow way. Pippi has like been a student of the world and she's like always telling stories about her travels and what she's learned from these different cultures. I will say there were like a couple of moments in the book where I was like, ooh, this feels like 1940. Like the language that she uses to describe different people and like I know that we are meant to know that she's making stuff up when she's talking about these cultures and like these different countries that she's been to. But I will say we're like reading it with the 2020 lens. Like I feel like some of it hit a little bit too close to like stereotypes and slurs that feel inappropriate now. So I I did want to point that out because while I do find that this book ages pretty well and is shockingly unproblematic, if there was anything that I that I raised an eyebrow at, that's probably what it was. Yeah, I agree. Those are probably the only moments I sort of like clocked that were like, oh yeah, this book was definitely written in the 40s and sort of like the otherness of like anybody from a different country and seeing it as sort of like funny or exotic or like, uh, you know, weird, which you can forgive somewhat because it's a kid and because, you know, she's making up stories, right? But it happens like pretty often in the book. Um, So yeah, so that was like the only thing that I looked at that was like, okay, yeah, that probably would not fly today. (laughs) Yeah, there was a little bit of fetishization, I think, of like, ooh, like I've seen the world and like, let me tell you the interesting things that I've seen uh, that I, I don't think necessarily flies. Pippi also performs in the circus, which I loved. Incredible. (laughs) I wish that I could do even a small fraction of the things that she is able, like she just has no fear. She's just like, oh, we're at the circus. Why wouldn't I perform? Yeah. Like, and it's so funny how she just sort of like 
does these things and because it it is very realistic in that like because she has such confidence and sort of like she walks into situations like she's supposed to be there that people sometimes like don't even like question it like why is she suddenly performing (laughs) yeah oh my gosh I just had this like the phrase that just hit me is like taking up space in a room which is something that we talk about a lot listeners Clarabelle's eyes just like flashed a little bit because we I think we both had this moment like Pippi has no fear about taking up space in a room. And, At all. And I think, I, I don't know anybody, like, even my most extroverted, outgoing friends and people, like, still have moments of feeling insecure and being like, oh, like, am I doing this right? Am I taking up the right amount of space? And Pippi doesn't have that at all. Yeah, it's so aspirational for me to see this kid who's just, like, knows who she is and is not worried about judgment because it, it takes up so much of my life as an adult now, especially as someone who is, like, a public figure and an author and who's, like, getting critiques, like, all the time. Like, if I had Pippi's skin, like, how sort of, like, strong it is and, like, how unafraid she is of getting feedback and, like, how she's willing to, like, absorb it and then just, like, move on, I just would be a lot happier <laughs> as a human. It's just really incredible and she's a great character and I think that like that aspect of her like not being afraid to take up space especially as as a little girl right is just really really important and really part of what makes her appealing as a character because for me I'm like oh I want that for myself I want to be able to just do things without uh worrying so much what anyone around me is gonna think about it yeah and and everything is like a participation activity for Pippi like nothing is a spectator sport for her she always wants to participate and be in the center and if she gets it wrong that's okay and if people laugh at her like she'll laugh right along with them she even like gets involved in saving the lives of two little boys who are stuck in a burning building but the weird thing about it and I guess the funny thing about it even though it feels weird to like describe anything about this situation as funny is that at first Pippi doesn't understand why they need to be saved because she's like oh this looks fun like to Pippi everything is a game yeah a participation activity a game and everything is fun and she manages to see the good in every experience and yet she she is able to save them which is great the last thing I wanted to note is just Pippi's generosity there's there's a scene at the end where Pippi gives her friends a gift on her birthday and that's where I want to be like okay everybody who's been critical of Pippi Longstocking she is unfailingly generous and she is somebody who embraces her friends without conditions and she doesn't necessarily get it right all the time but often when she gets it wrong it's because she's coming from a place of love and giving and she has all of these gold coins and she's not hoarding them like she has power but she's using it for good and not bad. Yeah, I loved that. I loved the idea of her giving gifts on her birthday. I think that's very cute. I thought it was very generous, especially as a kid, right? Like, a lot of times you're still learning about, like, sharing and, like, giving. And, like, she doesn't really have concepts of, like, selfishness, I feel. Even though she loves being sort of, like, in the spotlight, I think that Pippi would, like, very happily share it with anybody who wanted to be there with her. So I I loved that part. I thought it was really great. And in terms of like the scene where she saves the kids from the burning building, I also thought it was really interesting that all the adults were like, well, there's nothing we can do. And we're just sort of like standing there crying. 
And Pippi uses her imagination to get them out, right? Like, she's like, well, give me a rope. (laughs) I've got this, right? And, like, no one's even willing to try to get them out. It's just sort of, like, a done deal. And I thought that was, like, really interesting and how, like, because of her fearlessness, because of her imagination and her, you know, her strength and all of these things, but just her willingness to try things also, she was able to do this thing that, like, a whole crowd of adults wouldn't even attempt to do and I thought that was like really encompassing of like her whole character yeah oh that's a great way to sum her up the world needs more pippies I think maybe we need to create a merch line that says like what would pippy do or at least I need a shirt that says (laughs) what would pippy do so that I can really dig deep and try to be more like pippy in my own life and we've now reread pippy longstocking we have talked about her in detail I I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how this experience went for you overall. On the whole, what was it like for you to come back to Pippi Longstocking? How does she hold up? And if she disappointed you in any way, tell us more. I had so much fun. This was very nostalgic for me in a way that I didn't sort of realize it would be like, uh, it just like opened up like the floodgates of like my kid mind and like that period of my life of just like consuming all these books and sort of like exploring who I wanted to be as as I got older. I think Pippi really reinforced my rebellious streak and like told me it was okay to be sort of like different and like sort of off the beaten path a little bit. And um, I had so much fun reading. I laughed so much. I really do think it holds up. Like it does have those like little moments like we talked about where it's like not exactly holding up to the 2022 standards of of like representation. Um, but on a, aside from that, I think it's it's a really great timeless read uh, that could be like fun for anybody really, but really inspiring too about just being confident as a kid and as an adult and letting new experiences into your life and not being afraid, not being so afraid of everything all the time. And I just really love that Pippi gave me that gift again as an adult. I love that. I love this reroute as well. So I'm glad we did it. Other than Pippi Longstocking, what have you been reading lately that you have been loving and that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, so let me think. I'm always reading for blurbs lately. That's usually what I'm doing. So a lot of the books that I'm reading haven't actually come out yet. I am reading The Honeys by Ryan LaSala right now. That is a horror set in a summer camp that is very creepy and very good. And that's out in August. So by the time this airs, it will be out into the world already. I also just finished a book called Legends and Lattes, which is like a high it's described as a high fantasy low stakes book and it's really fun it's about this ogre she's an ogre i think or an orc who was like a uh, a warrior and she's retired and she wants to open a coffee shop <laughs> of course why wouldn't you <laughs> and it's incredible and it's so much fun and i really really loved it and uh yeah those are that's what i'm reading right now i i'm always like jumping between books I'll read like a couple chapters here a couple chapters there um there's a cozy mystery series that I've been reading about this ghost in a bookstore also and yeah that's I think that's about it for right now yeah I I understand like the jumping between and then as soon as you are asked to remember what you've read you're like I don't know I I don't know what I've read ever yeah <laughs> I don't read I don't I've never what read are books? what is a book <laughs> 
I'm also reading uh, Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. I'm a big uh, Taylor Jenkins Reid fan. Uh, so I'm reading that right now. And it is hard to get through because it's like, it's a great book, but there's like so much like terrible stuff happening to the characters that like, oh, my heart. <laughs> I loved Malibu Rising and I made the mistake of reading it. I think I read it in the winter. And now as we're recording listeners, it's early August. And I'm so mad that I didn't read it for the first time in the summer because it's such a great summer read. And I will admit, yeah. like I, I was not as into Daisy Jones as everybody else, but I adored Malibu Rising and I'm so excited mm. for her new book yeah so daisy jones is a great book to read in audiobook format i've heard that the audiobook is it's like a documentary there's like a, a full cast and it feels like you're watching like a behind the music it's very very good i actually started reading malibu rising on the beach in cape cod oh. so it was perfect it was perfect you waited for the right moment and I, I think I do need to try Daisy Jones in audio because I've heard that from a few people so maybe I'll give that a try this fall yeah I think you'll like it yeah well thank you for those recommendations we will include all of those books in the show notes as great ways to kick off your fall reading and I will also include links to all of your work your best selling work Tell us what you have in the works. What do you want to share with us? What's coming up? I like don't even know where to start with like what to ask you about because it just feels like there's so much. Yeah, sure. Uh, so my first graphic novel is coming out uh, October 18th. Um, that's called Frizzy and it's about a young girl who learns to embrace her curly hair. And then the second book in the Witchling series, uh, The Golden Frog Games, is coming May 3rd, I believe as of right now so you know busy fall busy uh, winter busy <laughs> spring coming up for me um i basically have like you know revisions a book release promo book release just in sort of like a cycle so <laughs> it's been it's gonna be a busy couple months for me keeping it rolling well congratulations and listeners go pre-order the upcoming books because pre-orders are important and super i'm gonna important. include links yeah. to those so you can pick them up at bookshop.org because we also love to support the indies. It has been so fun chatting with you, Clarabel. Thank you for taking the time. And I loved talking about Pippi. Thank you for having me. This has been so great. Uh, thank you for, you know, inviting me on the podcast and reawakening my love for, for Pippi. I'm very excited. I think I'm going to go rewatch some of the adaptations. If you do, let me know how they hold up because I'm like more nervous about the adaptations, I think. But I maybe I think I kind of want to dip my toe back in. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun rewatch. <laughs> I do think I might like start gifting Pippi to friends with little kids because I feel like it's a good gift. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's super fun book. Well, I'm glad we re-experienced it together, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.